Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Washington Commentary columnist Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. And senior editor Seth Mandel. Hi, Seth. Hi, John. So uh, yesterday was a low water moment in the history of the uh, Republican majority in the U.S. Congress, as far as I can tell. Uh, in a in a moment of just incompetence. I mean, we could talk about the policy stuff, but um, something happened that's not supposed to happen in pro ball. Um, the equivalent of uh, literally taking the ball if you're the uh, quarterback, running it into the uh, into your own end zone and standing there waiting for someone to tackle you and give you a safety happened when Speaker of the House Mike Johnson scheduled a vote on the impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and that vote lost. Uh, and it lost because apparently he doesn't know how to count. Well, two things happened. One, well, there was a sneak attack. Count. There was a sneak attack. Someone came out of the ho- out of his hospital bed. Um, Representative Al Green, and of course, even though I'm sure I hate his politics and everything about him, because his name is Al Green, all I can think when I see his name is I'm so tired of being alone. I'm so tired. So I'm very, I'm very fondly disposed. Well, so was Congressman Green, and that's why he showed up to vote in support of Secretary Mayorkas and scuttled the grand designs of House Speaker Mike Johnson. Um, There is a long tradition of people rising from their hospital beds or being pushed on gurneys into the chamber to vote, like Willis Reed getting, getting up on his broken knee to win the seventh game of the NBA series in 1973. Um, so uh, this was another moment in in the annals of, I am rising from my sickbed to save America from the depredations of the other party. Um, the hilarious thing about this is uh, Johnson seemed like he was managing the speakership uh, with some deftness, until this moment, uh, he ran out of the chamber and off Capitol Hill the minute that the uh, the embarrassment, the humiliation had been made made uh, clear. Um, this is just not not supposed to happen because it just makes you look bad and stupid. It's not policy driven exactly, right? But well, a couple of things. Uh, one embarrassment led into another embarrassment because in the space of 15 minutes or so, they went from failing to impeach Mayorkas, which they had the House GOP had been telegraphing and laying the foundation for months. Um, That failed, and we can talk a little bit about why. But then Johnson moved toward another vote on the clean bill of military aid to Israel, a vote that I thought would pass, but uh, Democratic opposition and opposition from elements of the House Freedom Caucus, which apparently does do not want to give any foreign aid, military aid, without some type of pay-fors, that is, some type of spending reductions, sank that bill as well. So in the space of a short amount of time on a Tuesday evening, 
Johnson was hand, uh, handed a one-two punch, and no wonder he wanted to kind of retreat into the shadows. The the second thing you mentioned, the uh, clean Israel bill, um, is striking because uh, you you would have to take. Uh, an ordinary civilian, and by by which I mean, I would say people who aren't listening to this podcast and who don't follow politics closely at all, and try to explain to him why, when the Speaker of the House says, look, I just want to vote on this one thing. I just want to pull it out. We're going to vote on this one thing. We're for it. Joe Biden is for it. Let's get this done. And Biden says, I will veto this bill. And House Democrats say, including the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, we will not vote for this bill. But they're for it. You see, they're for aid to Israel. Biden's for it. Jeffries is for it. But they're voting against it. And um, that kind of maneuvering, what what's behind it, we can go into. It's if, you really, if we really want to, but um, this is why people hate politics. This is why ordinary people hate politics. You all agree on this one issue? Here's a vote up or down clean on this one issue, but for political maneuvering reasons, you're against it? You're Joe Biden. You've been talking about a need for this bill for like four months, but you're going to vote against it because... You want it to be attached to something else that you want to drag into existence using the popularity of this measure, but you're voting against it? <clears throat> this is the, I voted for the $89 billion before I voted against it. Well, line. it's also exactly what Democrats accuse Republicans of doing on the Senate immigration bill. Right. Playing politics. Yeah. Oh, my I God. Mean, Both sides play politics. News, news well, alert. Well, also, like the the there's a procedural procedural angle to this, which is, you know, also about him uh, maybe not handling the speakership quite as smoothly as he looked. Right. Which is that he couldn't bring up the Israel aid vote for a uh, majority rules vote. He didn't need you know, they would have easily they passed. It would have passed easily It had not only most Republicans, all but 14 Republicans, but it had 42 Democrats voting with it, even though they were gritting their teeth when they did so. Um, But you could you he needed two thirds because of a procedural uh, hiccup. And it turns out that he's he's got a problem because he he has to get this if he wants a majority vote a 51 vote on this 51% vote on the Israel thing. He has to bring it up through the rules committee and the guys on the rules committee aren't in love with the idea of any standalone uh, aid bill with no offset. Right. So he first brought up the, with the offset with the IRS offset and enough people hated it that it couldn't pass. And then he said, okay, fine, we'll bring it up without the offset. But he ran into a brick wall of, of rules uh, and, you know, on, on that too. So he doesn't seem to be on, he doesn't seem to understand quite how to navigate this and the more complicated parts of this. I just think he's running up against a wall, which is the one seat majority that the Republicans hold in the house of representatives. And that one seat majority is a recipe for continued embarrassment by whoever is speaker of the house, because the Republican Party and conservative movement are so divided on so many questions. You're you're going to always be scrambling to figure out how to attain a majority. And you're right; he couldn't he couldn't bring up this clean Israel bill the normal way because he knew that there were enough Republican members who weren't going to support something without the pay fors, but. What he didn't realize and how he was outmaneuvered by the Democrats was that a significant number of Democrats were willing to take the political risk of opposing the Israel aid package in order to embarrass Johnson and the Republicans. You know, the, the thing about, about Johnson, you know, when you, John said that he, he had looked like he was, was you know, sort of had some semblance of, of, of competence at some point. He benefited from extraordinarily 
low expectations and um, crazy, I think, really ineffective early hit jobs on him as, uh, you know, as the most extreme, you know, out there uh, loony guy. And then he 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 sort of acquitted himself really. He, he did a really good job. And I think responding to all that initially, um, he seemed very reasonable. He 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 was impressive when he spoke and, and on a number of occasions. I think I, I agree with Matt. The issue is 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 the one seat majority and the nature of the of the house republicans and he's uh, he's speaker because of that he's speaker because they literally right. yeah, yeah. they chased yeah. part of their ma- 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 their part of their majority Live by out that of congress sword, by it. Yeah. within the session they yeah. bled member they bled uh, numbers in their majority to get to this point he wouldn't be speaker if republicans had more of a majority which they did a few months ago <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous right. but he's in the position he's in because uh everybody just at one point got really tired of taking votes on speaker and then they you know they got a couple weeks to get their strength back and now they're they're you know they're back to doing what they do okay this all helps trump let me just lay out for you why. The the worse Washington dysfunction is, though he was president for four years, though he didn't solve the border problem, though Republicans seem to be preaching that he solved the border problem, as Chip Roy, by the way, the very uh, conservative, semi-libertarian congressman from Texas yesterday said on the House floor, like, Oh, you think you can just wave a wand and the president can stop, uh, you know, the border uh, from being uh, breached? Like there were uh, one or two million crossings a year during Trump's uh, last three years in office. This all helps Trump because he is the outsider even now. And if Washington, if it's like Washington doesn't work, like these guys are all clowns. The Republicans are clowns. The Democrats are clowns. This was always his superpower was that a mainstream Republican behavior, like passing bills and things like that, uh, he could say meant that they were all part of the corrupt establishment. And if they if they run Washington into the ground, he can say, I got to come in and fix everything. Uh, and Biden doesn't know what he's doing, and he's senile, and the Democrats are corrupt because they say they want border security, but they don't really mean it. And and all of this plays into his hands. And we had just got a poll again this morning. It's like the 11th straight poll in which Trump has a lead. Um, the 11th straight poll. Now, I, I was reading somewhere yesterday that if you apply a likely voter or certain to vote screen to the Reuters Ipsos poll of the other day, the gap between Biden and Trump nearly vanishes. So don't you worry, because, you know, if you if you apply magical juju and, you know, you get some beans from, you know, selling your cow, you can create a future scenario in which Biden isn't on a catastrophic downslide. Um so and this I is think, after the good economic news, by the way, that yeah. you know we were we were discussing whether that was going to make people sort of wake up and say, oh, yeah, I guess things aren't that bad. So he needs he does need the polls now after that good um, mo- economic news, that good month um, and those adjusted numbers, because the we don't know what's coming the next month. You're, you have to build on you get well, a piece true. of good economic news and you have to build on it right away to, you know, to build momentum in that direction. And the other thing that I would say about Trump, by the way, is that remember that he can tell people what to do and they'll listen. This is the other thing. One one seat majority. Okay, I I don't think that, you know, he can tell Matt Gates can come tell me, you know, he doesn't want to vote for this or Lauren Boebert can come tell me she doesn't want to vote for this more uh, passes under Trump if he tells them to, which is why I joked, you know, but months ago that he he should have been speaker of the house instead because they fear him and they literally don't fear anyone else in politics i would say um uh, i'm not so sure that trump is the reason that the senate bill has gone aground i've been hearing that a lot and certainly that's the line that has been taken up by the media and by the democrats we saw we saw this in biden's remarks uh 
just yesterday, where he clearly is eager to blame Trump and the Republicans for not taking up the Senate immigration bill because he wants to somehow shift the onus of blame on them for what's happening on the border. I think that's going to be a tough haul. I think the real reason this bill has come apart in the Senate isn't so much Trump. It's just MAGA and conservatives and the larger universe. I mean, it was it was obvious to me for a while that the bill wasn't going to go anywhere because you could just sense the conservative populists coming out against any sort of deal. Why? Well, there was the argument that really Biden was looking for the Republicans to bail him out here because the crisis really did begin on Biden's first day in office. Now, of course, yes, John, there were border crossings during Trump, but they have reached historic levels. I mean, the crisis is an order of magnitude worse under Biden, and it's because of his policies. So there was a general opposition to, to the bill that Trump then noticed and kind of, you know, played upon. But I do think it's a mistake sometimes to just think that Trump calls the shots here. Second, I'm not so sure all of this chaos helps him either. One thing it illustrates is that the Republicans are going to have a hard time impeaching Biden before the election if they can't get it together to impeach Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security. And the general idea that Republicans can't do anything I don't think that helps the Republican presidential candidate because you could just say, well, there's going to be more chaos and such uh, if if the Republicans have control of government. So what what I would suggest is we look toward this special election that's coming up in New York ah. on Tuesday to replace George Santos. And George Santos expelled by Congress and by large numbers of his own party, thus reducing their own majority like Seth said, if the Republicans retain that seat, I think it's an argument for what you're saying, John, which is that at the end of the day, any bad news is bad news for Biden and Republicans will still will still gain. And that will help Trump uh, in the months before November. But if the Democrats take it back and it is a D plus two district, then that spells more trouble because the idea that you could revisit this vote on Mayorkas, which some Republicans are saying they would like to, I don't know, you're going to be embarrassed again? Um, And everything else down the line becomes that much harder. And we get closer to what I think may end up happening before the end of the year, which is Speaker Hakeem Jeffries and a Democratic majority in the House. Well, I think that is the likeliest political, you know, if you want to sort of prognosticate into the future about things that will have a potentially measurable effect on the election the handover the 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 flopping of the house from republican to democrat which well which um which is closer in hand than people realize it's not just if tom swazi the democrat beats mozzie phillip the republican pillip um in in nassau in you know uh, on long island uh in the next couple of weeks but there are a couple of other specials coming and um what biden might attempt to do now again then democrats have a one seat majority themselves or a two seat majority themselves but what biden with a house and a senate together might be able to cobble together to get passed um obviously it it can't involve much in the way of spending because the only way to pass these bills in the Senate with 51 votes as if they don't implicate budgetary matters. But if he can, he, they can do some stuff and get some symbolic stuff going in which they can then say, look, when we're in power, we do things. When the Republicans share in power, they get nothing done. And, and also, that's, that's your point, uh, Matt, about the running, uh, using the a playbook from 1948 uh, when Harry Truman was an unpopular president running against a popular Republican, Tom Dewey. And the situations are weirdly analogous because there were two serious 
third party or fourth party challenges that year. Four major candidates were running for office in 48, Henry Wallace on the progressive line and Strom Thurmond on the Dixiecrat line. And so the the calculus of who was going to win and who was going to lose was very complicated and weird with a lot of cross patterns. And so um, we could be in that situation as well. I'm sorry, Abe. No, it's just also if the House flops, it sets the Republicans on a losing trajectory in the sort of public perception generally. And, and I do think whether uh, they get there or, wh- or whether what we saw last night has to do with their being afraid of Trump or because they're fully, you know, in, they, they, they've they've internalized MAGA for, for themselves, whatever that means. I think the per- perception rightly is that the character of the party is because of Trump at this point. So it is. And so in some sense, I don't know. That that doesn't help. It's his party. My point was that this issue is larger than him. Right. I mean, the the immigration issue is he was the first to understand its power in the Republican electorate. Uh, But it has since under Biden, I think, taken on a whole new quality where it is hurting Biden. And, and it's not just Republicans yeah. who are now concerned about immigration, i.e. the migration on the southern border, the illegal migration. Uh, it's v- voters in general. And so it wasn't that surprising to me that you would find Republicans come out against it for, again, not only political reasons, which this is Washington, D.C. This is just what's going to happen, especially in an election year, um, but also for substantive reasons. And I would just say, I, I would urge listeners to check out Tom Cotton's uh, thread on Twitter, where he reviewed the bill and he went through some s- substantive objections, fair-minded, on the Senate immigration bill that he he said this would be why he would vote against it when it comes up for cloture today. And by the way, so well, like most Republicans, <laughs> most Republicans, you know, you have uh, John Thune, John Cornyn. Uh, you have Steve Daines, the head of the NRSC. Daines is very highly critical of this bill. Um, it's just a sad uh, moment, especially for Senator Langford, who you know was kind of put out there and uh, tried to do his best, and now sees that uh, you know if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Uh, my 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 another point- Truman parallel. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah my, I think, Harry has a lot to say. Yeah, my my, my point only is that uh, Trump as a candidate is still running, will uh, effectively be running on the idea that everything is broken and only he can fix. And the more broken Washington looks in Biden's Washington, whether or not Democrats think, oh, we got the Republicans on the ropes now because people are going to see how they spike their own immigration uh, negotiation and they didn't know how to get the Mayorkas impeached. Nobody knows about anything. It's more like, oh my God, what the hell is going on there? I have something to follow up on that. Um, The pollster and author Patrick Ruffini has a substack um, and he had a very, I think, interesting item on his substack the other day where he said basically... Biden's problem is that he is presiding over Trump's second term. Second terms are always awful. And Ruffini was pointing out that absent COVID and the way that Trump responded to COVID, Trump was likely to get reelected again on the basis of the power of the economy and the basis of the fact that Bernie Sanders was really becoming an emergent force. And so if you just play the hypothetical out in a, in a 2020 where there was no COVID, mm-hmm. right? And would that have helped, would that have helped Biden win maybe because of black voters, but we're not clear. So even in that case, if there's no COVID and the economy is still at all at full speed, yeah, Trump probably all things being equal would have been favored to win that election. But we know that second terms invariably are horrible. All the best people leave. The momentum kind of stalls. Um, the uh, the economic co- consequences fade. So, 
all of the things that are happening now, whether it's the failure to contain the border, whether it was the inflation that kind of generated itself through an overheating economy, um, that would have appeared in Trump's second term. Uh, but because of the weird circumstances of 2020, it's Biden's first term, which means that Trump might get a second term four years after he originally ran for one. I'm looking just... forward to the beginning of Trump's third term in January. Um, but by the way, one other thing about that election that I think that this is actually something of a uh, test of how 2020 would have gone without COVID, right? Because uh, Biden ran a basement campaign and he got away with it because of COVID mm -hmm. and he can't get away with it with no COVID and he definitely can't get away with it as president right but also trump isn't locked in the basement um you know rallies are filling up and people are not looking at rallies as uh you know uh super spreaders there it's just like back to normal life so it, it's an election in which trump you know has his sort of energetic rallies i mean he's not the same guy was you know maybe four years ago but obviously it's it's mostly there so this is kind of a test of you know if you could unleash trump and yeah. force Biden to try to keep up with him step for step. What what might that look like? And in 2020, that's probably what it would have looked like. The polls would have looked similar then. I I, I just want to say that um, I love the, the cleverness of Patrick's theory so much that I want to endorse <laughs> it, even though I don't know whether right. it's true no, or not. Uh, no, it's I have so to say, good. it's too it's good to so check. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there is no way to check it, but right. it is delicious. Like right. there's been so little fun analysis of where we are that I, I really, I, I welcome it. I salute it. I congratulate it. Um, and, uh, and, and I enjoy it. Politics is supposed to be enjoyable. Gosh, you no, know, uh, it, and it's getting so. <laughs> what happened to that? You're not, you're not having fun. Are you not entertained? Yeah, I, I am not entertained at all. Uh, and you know what does entertain people? Of course, is the internet. They look sadly, I think, to the internet for too much entertainment, um, and sometimes they want to look for risque entertainment or entertainment they don't want other people to know that they're looking for, and they use incognito mode. But let me tell you something. Incognito mode, not as incognito as you think. And why would that be? Look, incognito mode is a Google product, like the Chrome browser itself. Google has made its fortune tracking your movements online. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against Google in California, where it's accused of secretly collecting user data. Google's defense, quote, incognito does not mean invisible, unquote. So how did you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? You use ExpressVPN like I do. Look, every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers that makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Uh, this is how they get you. They use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. ExpressVPN routes your connection through an encrypted server, masks your IP address. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN, visit expressvpn.com slash commentary and get three extra months for free. I've done it. It's great. That's ExpressVPN, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash commentary. Go there to learn more. Um, horrible piece of news out of Israel that 30, that Israel now believes 31 of the remaining 130 hostages are dead. And the most horrible news of all is that among them is Kfir Bibas, the uh, nine-month-old baby who was taken with his parents. All three Bibases are on this list released by by the Mossad. Uh, indicating that the that Israel no longer believes they are alive. Israel also found yesterday, and this is kind of startling if you look at the imagery. So Khan Yunus, which is south of Gaza City, which is where it is believed Hamas's operational headquarters either have always be, have been or moved once the war started. Um, they found a tunnel. Uh, uh, 
in a residential neighborhood uh, in Khan Yunus, a uh, uh, kilometer long. And if you go and look at the picture, this isn't just like a rabbit hole. It's tiled. It's lit. It looks like a long passageway on a London, you know, if you've been in the London underground or the New York City subway, there are sometimes these kind of like two block long tunnels that connect to disparate stations. Looks kind of like one of those. Like you could walk through it, well lit, tiled. And um, this says to me, when I look at this, because you figure, okay, they don't care what the tunnels look like. Like they're tunnels. They're 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 military. Like, do you do you care what your trench looks like when you're in trench warfare? Are you like, you know, trying to beautify it? They take real pride in this tunnel system. Like this is this is their innovate, this is their war innovation. This is their B-52 bomber or their F-35 jet fighter. These tunnels, these 250 miles of tunnels. And um On the one hand, you think, okay, well, that should be something the Israelis could take out pretty fast, right? You blow them up or you fill them with water as they're now doing or whatever. And on the other hand, it, it, it indicates a degree of innovation in warfare that makes is making this war scarier rather than less scary as they, as they go. That also indicates a degree of time. They had time. They had over a decade. What did Hamas do in the over the decade since they took over Gaza from the PLA? Did they so help? Seventeen years, yeah. Seventeen years. Yeah. Did they help improve the economic development of the Gaza Strip? Did they write a constitution that allowed the Gaza residents individual rights or elections? Did they try to open peace negotiations with Israel, which had left Gaza to the Gazans? No. They shot rockets, committing war crimes. They warred against Israel, and they used their immunity and their invisibility to construct a terrorist prison. That's the prison, and it's underground. You look at these tunnels, and I hate to bring in an unserious metaphor, but I keep thinking of the Borg cube from Star Trek, right? This huge machine that that is the result of intent, rational design. Where do you put your, how do you direct your energies as a society? Is it to improve the livelihoods of people? Or is it to construct a cell to imprison captives and murder them? And we know that's exactly what Hamas did. That's why it's a terrorist organization. And that's why there's no deal to be made. There's no deal to be you made. You know what else? It, but you know what else it looks like? A home. The Hamas guys live down there. This is this is there's there's an element to me. Perhaps the most galling part of the design of the tunnels is the comfort that they suggest there are materials used in parts of these tunnels that wouldn't be used above like john john uh, talked about the subway tunnels i used to live in washington heights right around 190th street so one of those tunnels i guess it was the one train um up at at you know uh 192nd whatever it was was a it it felt like um uh, you felt like you were kind of going crazy walking down that hole because people would um, graffiti the walls and so they would paint over it. So you had like a mile long, yeah. all white, poorly lit yeah. tunnel. And it was like it was like walking through a like a dream, an asylum mm-hmm. in a dream or something. Their tunnels don't look like that because they live there and they there have been conversations about this, about the materials used. They wanted tiled walls they wanted things to look like what they know because this is where they were going to be spending their time and so they have 
you know, that and furniture and the floors, they also have better temperature control in the tunnels. Now, it's possible that the temperature control is unavoidable because you probably need a system of ventilation underground that, you know, is in tip top shape or else. But they have they have uh, temperature control uh, down there and um, and they have and it's probably cooler anyway under uh, underground. Mm -hmm. But they they have created a second city, right? This is Gaza 2. It's underground and it's a city. They have what they need to stay down there for very long periods. And they um, and they've made it feel like home next to a cell where, uh, you know, children have been kept for months without yeah. light and without much food. Yeah. I mean, and also, comfortable. this is this is home like uh, sitting here and yeah. then watching kids in a cage like. But, uh, is, there's a level of comfort that is monstrous. To, to Matt's point, it it doesn't only suggest time. It, it's manpower, resources, coordination, and what it doesn't suggest at all is desperation, right? Which is the 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 narrative. This is not. This doesn't look like uh, you know, people just doing what they can to survive and fight back. This isn't. This is a very intense. Resource and support, yes, offensive from places like Iran and Qatar, and the monies that have been sent over there to address the plight of the Palestinians are stolen, and they're ferried underground to build this prison system. Just one other reason why I think, not to jump topics, but one reason Republicans were skeptical of this bill in the Senate was the so-called humanitarian aid component, and some of that aid was directed toward. Gaza. And if there is not strict accountability on that aid, it, we know what happens to it. Hamas takes it. Now, the good news is uh, Hamas seems to be losing the war. And so the foremost objective, I think, of American policy needs to be continue to give Israel the Hasten time. Hasten that. Yeah. Hasten that. Continue to give Israel the time to move from Khan Yunus down into Rafah, the final stronghold where probably Sinawar and the, the remaining leadership are hiding out. That should be the objective of our, our policy. Unfortunately, since I never get what I want, John, I wake up to more news that our too nice Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is in Israel trying to resurrect once again the Biden doctrine of uh, ceasefire and Palestinian state. I hope he fails. Um, this is, um, he's by the already way, failed. Um, the also on the tunnels, the the tunnels that they found in Lebanon, by the way, when they found similar tunnels, but not quite as developed, were they were built um, by North Korea with help from the North Koreans. So the tunnel project is is actually very much like the illicit nuclear project that the Iranians have been on. And, you know, what they tried to do in Syria and things that there's there's actual, you know, there's there are foreign powers who come in, teach them how to build things. And this is all going on uh, amid the uh, supposed blockade, right? And all this other stuff. And it's going on in Lebanon under the United Nations knows, the UNIFIL teams knows, literally, North Koreans are coming in and building them tunnels as, uh, as UNIFIL people um, watch on. So the Biden doctrine that Matt uh, refers to, which was enumerated, of course, not by Biden or by anybody, but by Thomas Friedman and his cab driver, um, that's fine. I mean, the Bush doc the Reagan doctrine was enumerated by Charles Crathammer, so there's a tradition of this, uh, is um, a two-state solution. Uh, uh, Israel security is guaranteed. And, uh, Saudi and Saudi normalization. So Tony Blinken goes to Saudi Arabia and um, the Saudi normalization of relations with Israel, which everybody understands Mohammed bin Salman, the crown wants. He wants this. It is something he is looking forward to this, his 2030 plan. Uh, if you're on Twitter and you, uh, look at the and you and you subscribe to certain types of people. You will have every single third ad 
is for this insane project of his, this, you know, gargantuan 75-mile-long city called Neom. Um, he wants Neom, and he wants a, a calm Middle East where Neom can become the new Dubai and the new everything. And um, he's got a delicate dance to play to get to normalization with Israel. You know what doesn't help? When the U.S. Secretary of State goes directly to him and says, normalize relations with Israel now at a very complicated moment when Israel has yet to secure its victory in Gaza, thus leading the Saudis to issue a statement saying there will never be normalization with Israel until there is a Palestinian state. Now, I that paper, that's not worth the electronic paper. It's printed on the minute that that Mohammed bin Salman believes that he can normalize with Israel uh, or has a, you know, has has a, a deliverable that he can have to, to change his mind, he can change his mind. But um, how helpful was that? That's really great. What a fantastic move to travel to Saudi Arabia so that Saudi Arabia should take a stick and hit you over the head with it repeatedly. Until Not for you the first time. No, not for the first time has Blinken gone around the Middle East and had his hosts hit him with a stick until he leaves. This is at least the second Democrats time it happened to him. Love, and it happened to Biden. Democrats was. love to get themselves secretaries of state, Democrat secretary of state, go and get themselves hit by a stick. By Arab leaders all the time. Warren Christopher, who was Clinton's secretary of state went to Syria 17 times to try to negotiate whatever the hell it was he thought he was negotiating. 17 trips he took and was, like, left sitting in an ante room. Like, this is, you know, Lucy and the football. The Saudis don't like Democrats. They certainly, Mohammed bin Salman doesn't like Biden who, you know, basically said he was going to rearrange all of American foreign policy because of the murder of uh, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. I'm not going to defend the murder of Kamal or, you know, say that that wasn't something that was terrible. But delisting the Houthis from the terrorist watch list to punish Saudi Arabia for having having, you know, chopped up uh, Jamal Khashoggi. That was really great. What a fantastic piece of geopolitical gamesmanship that went on there that has now liberated the Houthis to destroy international shipping. I mean, you really um, did a fantastic job there, Joe Biden. So I'm just saying MBS doesn't like Biden. It has no reason to hand Biden a political victory. Biden and uh, where they, if they liked, if they liked Blinken, they would have taken him to touch the orb. They don't like him. Do we have a picture? Where is the Blinken orb? needs this is not for us to know. Right. We don't is know. Is the orb in storage? Orb. Are they wait are they keeping it for Trump's return? I did, I, the orb might be in Mar-a-Lago. I'm just he, putting it out here. Okay, yeah, I'm just saying I'm just saying if they liked him, he would have touched the orb. They don't like him. He knows they don't like him. So, what the hell was he doing going there? It's like Johnson calling the Mayorkas vote. It's I, like somebody must have told him. I'm going to finish. I promise. Yes. Somebody must have told him, you know, I don't really think they're going to go for this. But Biden's like, you go, you get MBS. To blah, 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 while, while, you know, the food is dribbling down his chin. So very nice Tony Blinken goes. And, right. and and has his hat handed to him. I just want to explain the very nice reference, and I made yes. reference to too nice very Tony nice. Blinken. This yeah. is the new explanation put out by Politico for why the Biden administration foreign policy is in such disarray and the world is coming apart. The Nahal Tusi, their foreign policy columnist, wrote that, you know, Biden, uh, Blinken's problem is he's just such a nice guy. He's just such a nice guy and he's soft spoken and he's smart. And, you know, he was a former intern at the New Republic and everything. So he has a literary component. He's just too nice. That's not the problem. The problem is the foreign policy. It's the substance. The problem has always been the foreign policy. This is the administration that thought they could park Russia to the side. What happens? Oh, Russia launches the greatest uh, land war in Europe since the World War II, since 1945. They thought, oh, we can figure out a way to revive the Iran nuclear deal. 
what happens? Iran is behind the biggest conflagration in the Middle East. I mean, in in decades. I mean, I'm, certainly since the Iraq War. But even then, the Iraq War was just one country, right? <laughs> this is throughout the entire region, from from the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, um, up into the borders of Iran. Um, so, and then they think, oh, well, the world is at peace. This is Jake Sullivan's, uh, the Middle East is fine. The Middle East is quiet, Jake Sullivan writes in the foreign affairs essay that closes literally the days before the October 7th attack. The problem is the foreign policy. It's not their emotional state or the fact that, yeah, Tony Blinken would probably be a nice guy to meet and have a meal with. That's not the issue. They need to reevaluate the foreign policy. And my great fear is they're not going to do that. And so the third the third theater, the Indo-Pacific, is the one that's going to explode mm-hmm. next. Um, Tony Blinken say- is a nice guy. Yeah. I knew him like 25 years ago in Washington, and he really did seem like a very nice he guy. He seems like a nice guy. Well, it's, it's great. It's Change your foreign policy. <laughs> the thing the thing with Blinken and to some extent Sullivan, too, is that um, these guys are actually they are excuse me, they are very good when it comes to um, debating and talking through policy with people, even with people you don't agree with. In other words, the Washington foreign policy world was somewhat relieved when Blinken and Sullivan were brought on, because these are guys that, you know, if you work in this industry, you know that, you know, you you might send them an email saying, hey, what, what were you thinking the other day? You know, and you'll get something back from Jake Sullivan's Gmail saying, oh, well, you know, listen, you got these guys are are part of they see themselves as part of the think tank world, almost the world of uh, observers and writers and all that stuff. And you put them out in the world and there are problems transferring their, you know, what their level of comfort, because MBS doesn't actually want to sit and, you know, have a debate about the Monroe Doctrine or something else. He doesn't. This is um you know, just nothing but cold, hard power politics I, in the I Middle to, East. I have to disagree with you. I think Bl- Blinken is there the way Bill Burns, CIA director, was there last week because Biden's like, you go there and you tell them that, blah, 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 like that. I mean, that's it's like, but I want you to because go because he's talk. worried about his reelect. Right. Everything and, is driven right. by his fear right. of reelect uh, by his fear that he's going to so, lose to Trump because of the Arab vote in Michigan. Yeah. So 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 you know Blinken goes around the globe and gets hit with a stick and uh, everything Biden lays out here as Matt pointed out sort of blows up um because the none of these hostile powers are are comporting with his worldview and the way he wants things. But who according to the Washington Post is defiant of 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 Joe Biden, BB Netanyahu, increasingly defiant. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if what you if, know what this. If, but what if Blinken? Yeah. What, what, here's a theory. What if what if it's not Biden sending? But what if Blinken doesn't want to go home? What if Blinken is just uh like give me a room for a couple more nights in Neom? Uh, because what? Well, yeah, maybe he wants to invest in Neom. If you go and look at Neom, there are like 22 different areas of Neom. That are, there's Zabalbia and there's Gishmel. It's like this is the all funniest thing you're on Twitter again. You're I seeing these ads and Neom. <laughs> I'm going to retire to Neom. I need a kosher restaurant. I need a good shul. I need a shul that I don't go to. Right. Right. I need right. two shuls. Need the two, one I go right. to and the one I don't go to. By the way, I wanted to look this up because I thought, you know what? Maybe I'm crazy and I'm being unfair to Warren Christopher, uh, and I'm making this up, that he went 18 times or 17 times to Syria and that I'm I'm conflating things because I do that sometimes. So I looked it up. 29 visits to Syria. <laughs> he and was no, only Christopher, and That was for the for dead. Four right? that, years. Was, that was Christopher, was the older Assad. Was, the older, the older yeah. Assad, yeah. The Christopher was, the thing about Christopher is that you have to remember, he refused to eat street food in the Middle East. Yeah. And he one time they were having Arafat was uh, was was being 
um, especially contentious and they had to go through the night or something and they went downstairs and they got a falafel or something late night and Christopher's stomach basically uh, exploded and people were saying how does this guy spend his time in the Middle East and not eat street food how do you exist here and the answer was yeah. because he's eating at the Assad palace he's got dinner oh. he's 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 going from palace to palace right. and having the best chefs in the world present him food that the king or the dictator is also eating that was Warren Christopher's diet and so he couldn't handle street food it's because also he was it's also what you get for eating with Arafat he, des he deserved yeah. this. He deserved it. I agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. And with that. and, anyway. and by the way, the the one thing I've always loved about Christopher is that if you if you look at the you know can't there's no way to show it I guess here but you, you look up the cover of his memoir. Okay, I think it's called In the Stream of History. In the Stream of History. Okay, it's but you have to see the picture on the cover of Warren Christopher's. Uh, this is a book that he titled at his urologist's office. <laughs> In the yeah, stream anyway, of history, yeah. and I can picture like it's serious. I'm not even looking at it now, but I know that it's Cl Bill Clinton and Warren Christopher sitting like on chairs outside or something, and they, um, you know, they're not really in focus, and they look kind of bored. It's not a picture of like Warren Christopher standing with, you know, important people or at in you know, a signing ceremony or something like that. They're just like sitting on lawn on deck chairs or something and okay you, since and we're right. since we're going back in history just to give you a sense of what happened with blinken and the saudis okay so blinken goes to the saudis and he's like let's negotiate on the biden doctrine and mbs says i would really like trump to be president again so i'm gonna basically you know roll a boulder over your body or hit you with a stick or whatever whatever violent analogy we can come up with um uh, and that I'm saying, like, there is something wrong with the way secretary, uh, Democratic secretaries of state engage with people in the Middle East. And this is a matter of longstanding. So I, I just pulled up an April 24th, 1996 article from the Washington Post by Bill Drozdiak, uh, somebody I once worked with at my magazine who was very bad on Israel. So I'm just pointing out that he was bad on Israel So uh, and liked Syria because he was bad on Israel, as people did then, by the way. Um, Syrian President Hafez Assad delivered an extraordinary snub to Secretary of State Warren Christopher today, declining to receive him at a critical stage of his delicate diplomatic mission to achieve, get this, a lasting ceasefire in Lebanon. <laughs> okay, you may all laugh now. American officials were at a loss to explain Assad's refusal to make himself available. They attributed to possible exhaustion from seeing so many visitors this week. Or perhaps time pressures, because he wanted to give closer scrutiny to the latest version of U.S. proposals to end a 13-day-old Israeli offensive against Shiite Muslim guerrillas in Lebanon. Okay, but there was a picture that was associated with this, is not in, in the version I'm reading now, of Christopher literally sitting, the Secretary of State of the United States, literally sitting in a chair why this picture was allowed to be taken i don't know in like the ante room of assad's office with like assad's secretary is like they're typing on the typewriter secretary say is sitting by himself in a chair waiting to be admitted like a you know desperate actor trying to get in to see an agent to try to get an, a job as an extra you know, on that, was the, that was the backup photo for the cover of his memoirs. <laughs> there that you go. Make. There you go. Anyway, so Blinken apparently, you know, 28 years later, uh, wanted to basically repeat some version of the Christopher snub in Saudi Arabia. So well done, Mr. Nice Guy, Secretary of State. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who's doing commentary recommends? Abe's got one. It's the Abe commentary recommends. I have one. It is a largely delightful one. I watched only last night on Netflix, The Greatest Night in Pop. This is a documentary about the 1985 gathering of American pop stars, USA for Africa, for the recording of We Are the World. So for me, it, I, I watched it because um, I it was just, I wanted to bathe in the pure nostalgic joy of it. And there's plenty of that. It's all about how that came together, Lionel Richie and, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones. Um, but there are many interesting things in it um, as well. Um, a few tidbits, and some of them that were sort of beside the point, but that were, I thought, really interesting. Um, some of the people involved were difficult. So there's this moment where uh, they all they all recorded this after the American Music Awards uh, in, in L.A. because that was when they could get all these recording artists in town in one place and uh, they didn't have to arrange all the travel. And uh, OK, so they so it's it's late into the night and they're recording this song that all of them just had sort of cassettes from. And um, Stevie Wonder at some point decides that there should be some lyrics in Swahili. Um, and uh, someone, uh, Bob Geldof points out that, um, well, first of all, why why should we be singing to the people who are starving? We want to appeal to the people who have money um, to help them. And second, uh, uh, they don't speak Swahili in Ethiopia. Four point, yeah. And then the best part of this, though, is that Waylon Jennings just takes off his headphones and leaves. <laughs> uh, can, um, I, can I point there, out? Yeah. There's, there's, there's more. I mean, okay. they also, they What's got... What's it called? The Greatest Night in Pop? The Greatest Night in Pop. Yeah. And they got, um, they got, they roped Sheila E. into coming and said, you're going to get a solo singing part. But she was really just bait because they the wanted Prince. Prince. Um, so she stuck around until the wee hours until she realized they just wanted Prince to come and like get her and sing. And that never happened. Um, uh, then really, this was started. This was a totalist. So they didn't mention this at all, but it was just from a clip, which it, it kind of I don't, I don't know what to think of this. I don't know if this this made me feel better about our times or um, worse about those times. But the American Music Awards used to give. There was a category called best, and this was in 1985, best black single, best black artist, best black album. I, I, was, I was actually like, it was really arresting. I mean, so if you if you think yeah. things are identity bad now, they were they were, they, you know, they were it was it was we, pretty rough. We then. need a sequel. We need a sequel to this. We need a documentary on. Do they know it's Christmas in Ethiopia? That was a better song. That was a, but also, listen, it's a terrible song. It's unbelievable that they got 40 people to sing that piece of garbage song. But yeah, one more, one more great yeah. part of this. I mean, you should yeah. go see, there's a lot. I want to kill okay. everything, but yeah, yeah. so then they, they're, they're doing all the solos singing at the end and uh, it's, it's Bob Dylan's turn and he's just like flubbing. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't yeah. know like how to sing it and and so he says uh let me just give give me a moment with uh stevie and stevie wonder he sits down at the piano with stevie wonder and stevie wonder imitates bob what he wants bob he imitates bob dylan singing sounding oh, okay. like bob that dylan great yeah and then and then bob dylan goes oh okay I'll, i i got it now and goes and does stevie wonder's imitation of him <laughs> The thing that always got me about We Are the World, and you mentioned Bob Geldof. So Bob Geldof was the uh, organizer of this uh, live aid to Ethiopia, which was a, uh, by the way, a kind of re relatively uh, ideologically and geopolitically scandalous thing that happened. So there was a famine in Ethiopia. 
but the famine was political. The famine was organized by the by Mengistu, I believe it wasn't his name, the dictator of Ethiopia, because he was trying to starve out the rebels. And so uh, this um, effort was, of course, a way of uh, deflecting attention from what Mengistu was actually doing and providing him with all kinds of aid that he was then going to not use. So it was a classic act of, you know, sort of liberal leftist moral intervention that, uh, you know, didn't know what the hell actually was going on. But Bob Geldof then became this kind of secular saint. He was he was knighted by the Queen. Uh, he became this kind of figure. Uh, the only person who has ever come close to him since is Bono, a fellow Irishman, uh, you know, who actually, I believe, deserves some credit for genuinely important efforts at life-saving, uh, particularly in relation to AIDS in Africa. But Geldof was the most unlikely person to ever achieve this because his band, the Boomtown Rats, came to fame because of a song that he wrote as a kind of British punk that was an endorsement or a kind of lionization of a school shooting in Cleveland, Ohio in 1976 very uh, forgotten event, but th this was maybe the first high school shooting in America. And uh, and the interesting part of it a, is it was carried out by, by a female, by a 16-year-old girl named Brenda Spencer. But she shot eight people at her school. She did not turn the gun on herself as people now do. And when the cops arrested her, they got her and said, why on earth did you do this? She said, I really hate Mondays. And then Bob Geldof wrote a song called I Hate Mondays from her perspective. And it's kind of a, yeah, man, my, you know, she just, I don't want to be a cog in a machine, just going to school on Monday, you know, like that. And then like nine years later, he's like, he wrote this really depraved song. I mean, it's a song, but whatever. It's really kind of a depraved piece of work. And then he becomes a worldwide humanitarian saint. Um, today, of course, he wouldn't survive writing such a song. Um, and he shouldn't have survived it then either. But, uh, you know, it was the 70s, very transgressive. And he was a punk. So that's what punks did. They were transgressive. <laughs> anyway, so I will be very interested to see this uh, See this documentary which i've been avoiding because i hate the song so much but if it makes fun of the people who recorded it oh, no i'm yeah. making fun of the people okay. it, it, you it have to know, hear but, the song a million times in the documentary that's hard uh, a bit very difficult right because that's like the yeah. the the uh it's a small world after all ride in disney world it's like it's yeah, a great yeah. thing but you you do have to sit through that tune. Yeah, yeah. But 11, I can't yeah, even assess the song at this point as good or bad. I heard it so much. I was at the perfect age where I, 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 I literally, yeah. if you added, took all the time that I spent sitting there watching that video yeah. when I was 14, 15, you know, like I would, I, you would add a year to my life if I could have it back. By the I way, mean, the last time we were in Disney World, uh, which was like last year, the year before, uh, uh, the ride stalled. The we the uh, oh, it's yeah, a small world fun. ride stalled, so we got more than the eleven minutes, yeah. as you say. We we sat there, uh, I forget where, in the middle of some part of the world, as mm -hmm. uh, with an extra you know ten minutes on it. That's the song you want. That's the song you want to get stuck on. You'd you'd rather get stuck like you'd rather like the roller coaster stop at the top of the hill, you know, than yeah. than get stuck on on it's a small world after all. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. It's a Small World, by the way, is, I believe, to have been deemed the most played song in the history of the world because it's at every Disney park. It has been, it it was written for the ride. Mm -hmm. uh, it plays without let up at every park 18 hours a day or whatever. And has now for they need to They need to make the ride, years. they need to make the ride more exciting by adding some Houthi rebels to the to you know what the section where you traverse the Red Sea or whatever. Right. No, the best part would be they if they can Houthi fire yeah. rockets yeah. at the little no, the, ship. Yeah, the Houthi rebels them. should be firing a rocket. Yeah. There's one area where you have a you have a uh, a wedding a Jewish wedding canopy, 
Yes, that's and true. A couple yes. of the little right. dolls are yes. kicking, and so yeah, if the Houthis were firing drones, <laughs> yeah. way to spice it up in Biden's some Biden's world, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, we're degenerating here, so uh, we'll <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. I have a lot to say about Disney World, but <laughs> yeah, I won't do we'll it now. Cabin yeah, we'll, that off. Yeah, we yeah, yes. uh, ask. <laughs> so for Matt, Seth, Abe, and the absent Christine, I'm John Butthoritz. Keep the candle burning. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.